sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. I'm going to just saturate you guys with scripture this morning. Is that all right? Yes. Can I just... Can I just wash you with the water of the word here for a few minutes? You know, these are, these are uncertain times. I was talking with someone this morning just in the foyer right before we jumped in to service and this person told me, he says, it's just, it's very difficult to plan because it just seems like everything changes and everything's changing so fast and so consistently. And uh, a good word for this hour is just uncertainty. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that the life of faith is actually a life of unpredictability and a life of uncertainty. We didn't talk much about what to do uh, in times of uncertainty. And a little adage that we have here on the staff is that in times of uncertainty, we focus on clarity. So what is clear? What is clear in this hour? And guys, just this is going to feel very elementary, and, and I kind of semi-apologize for this, because this is going to feel probably very beneath you. Um, but I'm going to go back to some what I think are just essentials and some fundamentals of the Christian faith today, and uh, what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I've just really, really uh, simply titled this, The Heart of the Christian Life. Now, this was not what I initially had planned on. I'd put a lot of time and work uh, on uh, John chapter 4, the woman at the well, so many incredible rich things in that story that we will get to. Uh, but I just, I just had a, um, I don't know, I think what I believe is just a prompting that, um, that we need to go back to the basics of clarity on what it means to live like Christians in such an uncertain hour. I think it's important for us to be reminded that this is not the only time in history that the church has lived in a time of uncertainty. Isn't that right? That's important for us to remember. The church Catholic, little c, which means that we are connected to the people of God, past, present, and future, and we're connected to the people of God globally. That's what it means to be a Catholic people. So there are people right now all over the world that are undergoing way more difficult things. I mean, we are having to gather with masks on. They're having to gather not knowing whether or not someone's going to come in and utterly disrupt their gathering violently. You understand what I'm saying this morning? We're connected to that, that, that people. We're connected to that family. So the church has always gone through difficult and uncertain times. This is not new, and this will not be the last time. And this may not be the most severe thing that the church will walk through in the United States of America. But I believe Jesus is worthy. I believe that the body broken and the blood shed for us is worthy of us gathering. I believe that Jesus deserves honor and he deserves worship and he deserves our allegiance and our affection. So I'm going to be very elementary this morning, and I'm going to talk about some things that are very clear about what it means to be a Christian in this hour. And I'm going to ask you to do the hard work of connecting the dots, thinking about all of the things that are happening in our cultural landscape right now, from racial justice and injustice 
to uh, a political season, which it seems like things are always charged on political years, to even the COVID crisis and where people are standing on different polarized positions on uh, everything as it relates to COVID. I want you just to hear the scriptures today and contextualize these scriptures to where we're at in this hour of history. So three very simple things that I believe that we can focus on in this hour. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Jesus, we're asking for the help of the Holy Spirit. We're asking for the guidance and the illumination. And most importantly, we're asking today for the revelation and the life transforming presence and power of Holy Spirit to be with us and upon us as we come to the scriptures. Believing, O oh God, that this is the written word of God, but it's also as you are speaking today, it is the now spoken word of God that is dynamically being released and charged by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. Minister to our hearts and our minds, and we pray this today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, looking at verse 33 and verse 34. We're going to put all these verses on the screens for you, but, but my high encouragement is if, if you have a physical Bible, turn there with me in your Bibles. John chapter 13, at very least, write these down so that you can just soak and saturate in these scriptures in this hour. This is, the context here is Jesus is having a very intimate gathering with his disciples, just hours before he's about to be handed over to a band, uh, an angry mob of religious rulers who are about to crucify him for the sake of the world. And he's having this real special dinner with his disciples. Um, during the time of Easter, the weeks leading up to that, we spent a considerable amount of time, you'll recall, in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. And those four chapters... John chapter 13 included, the context here is we are hours away from crucifixion. And so Jesus is condensing and he's summarizing the most important things that he has spoken to his disciples in the three years that he's walked with them in this moment, in these chapters. And he launches it in verse 33. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 34, so a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now just stop here for a minute and just let that settle in. We're gonna do this a lot in each of these scriptures. As I have loved you, so you must love one one another. What is the heart and the essence of the Christian life? What's the core of the Christian life? I would propose to you it's three things, beginning with this right here. It's loving one another. That is the heart and the soul of the Christian life. If I get everything else wrong, I'm praying that at the end of the day that I get this right. I, I, might, I might get preaching wrong. I might get my spiritual disciplines wrong. I might not pray and read my Bible as much as I ought to. Uh, I might even get some of the, the doctrinal things wrong as I'm figuring out where the church has stood over the course of history. But guys, by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, the fruit of Christianity, the fruit of a life changed, 
the fruit of the Holy Spirit indwelling his people is love for one another. A new command I give you, love one another in the same way, in the same spirit, with the same intentionality, with the same level of veracity that I've loved you, love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know. And I think really a good test for us is before you just hit send on that text, before you hit post, I mean, I just think a good test for us is, will this demonstrate that I am a follower of Jesus by the way I'm engaging in others in our differences in a spirit and in an attitude of love? Doesn't mean we cannot disagree. Doesn't mean that we can't think deeply about the issues of the day doesn't mean that we can't research and study. Doesn't mean that we can't lean towards opinions and positions. What it does mean is that in the way that we do that, in the way that we communicate that, that we submit that in a spirit of love. Let's look at another verse here in John chapter 15. Just a couple of chapters over. John 15, beginning in verse 9. John 15, verse 9. The, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. If we think about that statement, and if we think about this truth that you cannot give what you do not possess, you cannot radiate what is not alive within you. You cannot hand over something that is not within your care. And Jesus is revealing to us a very important secret. Jesus is saying, I have loved you with the love that I've received. And it's a, little, it's a little bit indicative, and this is not condemning in any way whatsoever, but we have to evaluate ourselves. And we have to recognize that if there's a shortage of love that is coming out of us towards our brother and our sister in Christ, it reveals that there, that there, there needs to be some more love that we're receiving from God. <laughs> Because the love that we give comes from the storehouse of the love that we receive. So what Jesus says right here, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. With the same level of sacrificial, abundant, unlimited love that the Father poured out on the Son, the Son then, out of the overflow of that, was able to pour out on his disciples. So he says, live in this, remain in this, abide in in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. What command is that exactly? The command to love one another. The command to love one another. So as we posture our hearts to love one another, as we posture our hearts to engage and interact in the spirit and an attitude of love, Jesus says that when you choose to love one another, you are abiding in my love. This is the way that we remain in my love. For years I read this and I thought, if I break one command, if I mess up in any area of my life, I'm not abiding in his love. That's not what Jesus is referring to. Jesus just told us a new command I give you, love one another. And if you love one another, you're abiding in my love. In other words, as you and I choose, as we make the conscious choice in our mind and in our spirit, I'm gonna love my brother. I'm gonna love my sister in our disagreements in our differences, in our offenses, 
When you posture your heart in that way, God says, I'm going to anchor you in my love. I'm going to resource you to do what I commanded you to do. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You know how we keep joy in the middle of all this craziness right now? Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. I had a friend of mine recently that invited me uh, to a gathering, and there was, some, there was some discomfort in the gathering that he invited me into. And, uh, and he reached over to me, and he says, hey, man, I really appreciate you being here for me right now. And I told him this. I said, my love for you is greater than my, uncom- my discomfort being in this gathering right now. Like, we have to set our focus and our perspective on something that's going to breathe and breed and produce life inside of us. And I believe for us, it has to be, you know where joy is going to come from? Joy is going to come from setting our sights in a posture of love. I'm wearing my mask because I love my neighbor. I'm not going to get into all the stupid arguments, and honestly, I think they're all stupid. I love my neighbor. I want to love my neighbor. I want to be a follower of Christ that's known by my attitude in loving my neighbor. I don't need any more. I don't need any more scientific data. I don't need any more political arguments. All I need for me, Pastor Jade, is I love my neighbor. I don't want my neighbor to uh, affect something, you know, get something that might affect their lives negatively. I don't want that. I want to love my neighbor, and that keeps me in joy. Is it annoying? Yes, it's annoying. Is it frustrating? Sometimes it can be. It is. My mask kept falling down. Oh my gosh, right? But I'm in joy. I'm in joy. Why? Because I'm doing this out of love for my neighbor. And that's in the grocery store. That's at the gas. It's wherever it is that I go. Lord, anchor me in joy because the posture of my heart is love for my brother and my sister. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's a command. This is the heart of the Christian life. This is the stamp of Christianity, not our piety, not our moralism, not our righteousness. Love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Does does that put any of this into context? We're just not programmed to lay our lives down. We're programmed to fight for our rights. Come on, talk to me this morning, right? I can hear you through your masks, right? We, we are more proud of being revolutionary Americans than we are being sacrificial Christians. Our identity is more in being revolutionary Americans then our identity is in being cross-bearing Christians. That's, that's, that's what so much of the hour is revealing. Our pride and our identity is in our rights, not in laying our lives down. But we will be known as followers of Christ, not for how strongly we fight for our rights, but how we love our neighbor in laying our lives down. Let's go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Guys, I'm telling you, I was reading these scriptures and just getting so convicted. So I'm sharing with you out of the overflow of my conviction. I'm giving to you what I have received. Just some good old-fashioned 
loving conviction from the Holy Spirit. First John chapter four, verse seven. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Whoever does not love does not know God. Let me just, let me just say this. Some of you might be thinking, because I've thought this in my life before, because I am acutely aware of how small my love is. Anybody else in this room acutely aware of how, how small your love is? Right, when you get impatient, when you get frustrated, when you say things, when things fly out of your mouth, when you choose that sense of self-satisfaction of hurting someone else, not loving someone else, you're not laying your life down. I'm acutely aware of the times that I do that. That doesn't mean that I don't love God. It doesn't mean that I don't know God. It means that I don't know the full measure of who God is. Right, it doesn't mean I'm destined to hell because I was impatient with someone. Okay, let's, let's break out of some of the legal structure here. And Jesus is, through, through the Apostle John, he's very, very simply saying, there's more of God for you to discover because your love is so, so small. You don't know God. There's more there. And if we're really, really, really honest with ourselves, and this is painful, you guys, particularly for those who've, of us who've walked with God for many years. I mean, I'm going on three decades of walking with Jesus and then I see how small my love is, right? And if I'm not careful, it's really easy to get arrogant with how much I know. To get arrogant with how much I know. But the scripture says that knowledge puffs us up, but love builds us up. And the mark of our Christian maturity is not our knowledge or our theology. As good as knowledge and theology are, I'm not demeaning that you know we have a high, high premium on theology here. But the mark of our spiritual maturity is are we able to love and increase and expand and grow in our love? So take heart this morning. Verse 8, whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. One of the simple things that Christine are trying to land on, we're just trying to land on this, and it's difficult, but we're trying to very simply say, is, is that love? Is that love? Is that reaction love? Is that posture love? Is that, is that defensiveness that we feel? Is that aggravation? Is that, is that uh, attacking that we want to lash out? Is that love? Because if it's not love, it's not from God. If it's not love, it's not from God. I mean, it's just a really simple way. I love how God has just made it so simple. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Sacrifice is at the heart of love, you guys. Sacrifice is at the heart of love. Sacrificing our pride, sacrificing our ego, sacrificing our defensiveness, sacrificing our rights is at the heart of Christian love. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, his love lives in us and it's made complete in us. Isn't that great? 
I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish anything. But in my earlier years, the standard and the hallmark for me was a Christian experience and an atmosphere of worship. That was paramount. That was spirituality. As I continue to walk with God, without demeaning that, I'm understanding that that is kind of a means to an end. That if those powerful quiet times, if those mountaintop moments in God's presence are not leading me to love and serve and give and humble and honor and be patient and be kind and be generous and hold my tongue. And I've not seen God, but the way that I love God is by loving you who I can see or loving my Facebook post person on the other side who I can see. Verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he lives in us. He gives us his spirit. And Romans chapter five tells us that when he gives us his spirit, he pours his love into our hearts. When he, pour, when he pours out his spirit into us, he is pouring out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Man, there's just so much good stuff here. Let's just jump over to verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they see cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. told you I was really convicted by these scriptures the other day I was having a conversation Christy was with me and we were talking about forgiveness and kind of the ongoing process of forgiveness and what flew out of my mouth and sometimes we don't really know what's in our heart until our mouth opens up and says things our mouth betrays our heart and as I was trying to encourage this friend of mine in the ongoing process of forgiveness what flew out of my mouth was I'm, I'm actually working through some unforgiveness myself and what came out of me was that there is a person who has wounded me, and I said, and I hate them. I didn't even know that was in there. I just, and I said, I said, I hate them. And it was just so natural, so easy, so quick, so fluid. And then I read this verse. Oh, my God. Whoever loves God cannot hate their brother and sister. So God, I repent. This is how we respond when we come face to face with the reality of the word, which will always show us where we are at and it will always call us to where we can be. God, have mercy on me. I need you. I want to love you better by loving even those who have hurt me and have neglected and abandoned and abused me. Let's look at this verse here in Galatians chapter five. I have been sitting in this verse for quite some time now. I've, I've been tempted to post this verse out there in the universe, but I'm not sure if I'm ready yet. But in Galatians 5, verse 13, Paul is admonishing the church, and he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Does it have any bearing on this hour? Yeah, I think it has a lot of bearing on this hour. 
We're free. We're free. Guys, think about this. Jesus lived in one of the most religiously restricted cultures and contexts known to man. And he still abided by them in freedom. Because he chose. He chose to go to synagogue. He chose to honor the Sabbath. Not out of a legalistic obligation. He chose. He says, I lay my life down. No one takes my life from me. When we make choices to do things out of love, even if they seem to be obligatory or legal, we walk in freedom. Keeps us in joy. But here, look at here. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. In other words, don't use your freedoms, your supposed freedoms, your supposed rights, your supposed entitlements. Don't use those things in a manner that just serves you. Don't use those things in a way that just satisfies you. Don't be self-centered with your freedoms. The whole purpose of freedom is to be people that set others free in the spirit of love by the grace and the power of God. Verse 14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Now pause. You guys remember this story? There's a couple of religious teachers that come to Jesus. Teach Jesus, what's the greatest command? Remember that story, Matthew chapter 22? Right, what does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He quotes this right from Deuteronomy. And then he says, oh yeah, and by the way, there's one that's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, several decades later, Paul gets a hold of this. And then he says this. He says the entire law is summed up in this command. He kind of drops the love of the Lord your God. And this is what Paul says. The entire law, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Old Testament covenantal law, summed up one command anybody have an idea what it is love your neighbor love your neighbor guys whenever you get lost your gps is am i loving my neighbor and i I don't know what to do love your neighbor love your neighbor these times are uncertain yes they are go love your neighbor you will get clarity when you start loving your neighbor You will get perspective. Your purpose will will come alive when you start loving your neighbor in the small, little moments of your life. Gosh, so many wonderful verses here. Let me read a couple more. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to break all the homiletics rules, right? Because you're supposed to have all this nice, neat balance between all your points. No, it's not going to be balanced at all. I'm going to put a lot of emphasis on this point and just a little bit of emphasis on point two and point three. All right. First Peter chapter one, verse 22. Look at this. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Look at this. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth. I just think about how how we have a tendency to make obedience and purity such self-centered things. And here's what Peter is saying. Good, great that you're obeying the truth. It's great that you're living a pure, righteous, and moral life. Now love one another. I mean, we just can't get away from this. It's in almost every New Testament book, you guys. Verse 23. Oh, wait, actually, look at the end of verse 22. Love one another deeply from the heart. You know what I love about that? Is you can't fake that. The scriptures are telling us 
There's actually another translation that says, have affection for one another. Have affection for one another. How do I have affection for people that are disagreeing with me? How do I love one another deeply from the heart, those that are opposing me? How do I do that? By the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit, by making a choice, by anchoring ourselves in the heart of God, He will empower you, friends. I promise you, I know it feels impossible, and in some ways it is. He will empower you to do this. Look at this. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4, just a couple of chapters over. Verse 7. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. You know, I think it's so funny. Like, no matter what the national crisis is, it's, it all, always, always goes to, it's the end times. Jesus is coming back. Yes, he is coming back. I don't know if he's coming back now, but let's just take all of our conspiracy theories around Jesus coming back. Let's set those aside right now, because that's uncertain. Let's focus on what's clear. Look at what Peter does. Look what Peter does. The end of all things is near. Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago, right? So if the end was near then, I'm pretty sure the end is near now. Are you, come on, are you with me, right? Come on, guys, think about this. So look, 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 look. Because the end is near, be alert, be sober, so you can pray. And above all, because the end is near, love one another. I am not getting the uh, reactions here that I was expecting. Maybe it's the masks. I don't know. It's like, like there's like there's this cloud over us. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Right? Because the end is near, here's what we should do. We should just rummage through the internet and we should try to crack Bible codes and we should try to figure out like who the Antichrist is. We have a coin shortage. It's the Antichrist. No. He says, because the end is near, love one another deeply. And I, I know this feels really simple. Guys, we've just, we've just gone so far off track. We are just majoring in so many minor things. And here's why. Because that stuff, it's easier to do that. It's easier, it's superficial, and it's easy. But loving one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins is the hard work of the Christian life. But this is the Christian life. This is the Christian life. The thing that will make us be a countercultural people is the way that we lean into the power and the grace of God to love one another deeply. That is our witness. That is our witness to the world. Not how well we can argue, not how many stats we can fire off, not how many conspiracy theories we can crack. Our witness to the world that makes us an alternative community. Guys, we are an alternative community. We are strangers and foreigners in this land. We are not Americans first. We belong to a different kingdom. We belong to a kingdom that says, lay your lives down. Don't fight for your rights. Love one another, even those who have hurt you. So, listen, thank you. Three things that are the heart of the Christian faith. Number one, love your brother and your sister. Number two, love your neighbor. 
love your neighbor. We'll save some of these scriptures for another time because many of you know the Good Samaritan. I just quoted when the teachers of the law asked Jesus what the greatest command is. He says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So who's my neighbor is what the teacher of the law asked. Like my brother and my sister is easy. You're my brother. You're my sister. Not just biologically. By the blood of Jesus, by the table that binds us, by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, no matter where you're at in your ideology or your belief system, you are my brother and my sister bound together by love, by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Who's my neighbor? My neighbor is the, is the next circle outside of my family members, outside of the family of God. There are neighbors that I interact with every day. And Jesus made it really, really simple. He says, essentially, wherever there is someone that you come across that's in need, that person is your neighbor. That person is your neighbor. In the story of the Good Samaritan, the person who was violated and left on the side of the street, a Samaritan walks by and finds himself in the same proximity as someone who's been violated. That person now is my neighbor. It doesn't matter what their belief, it doesn't matter what their belief system is. It doesn't matter where they stand on the BLM spectrum. It doesn't matter if they're a conservative or a liberal. It doesn't matter. They're my neighbor. It doesn't matter what their sexual persuasion is. They are my neighbor. And I'm commanded by God to love them. That is what it means to be a Christian. To love my neighbor. Look at this, if you would, in Matthew chapter 25. Beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. I was an immigrant. I was someone who believed differently, and you extended the invitation of hospitality, and you invited me in. I needed clothes. I needed to be covered, and you covered me. You didn't exploit me. You didn't expose me. You covered me. I was sick, and you tended to me. You saw me. You saw me. You looked after me. You nurtured me. You cared for me. I was isolated and alone in prison. I deserved to be there, and yet you visited me. And they said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty? And when did we see you a stranger and needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick? And then he said, when you did it to your neighbor. When you loved the least of these. Yes, he deserved to be in prison. And here's what we do. Well, you know, if you would actually make better financial choices, you could actually clothe yourself better. Hey, here's a list of resources. If you go down there and you just, you know, use a little bit more stewardship, you can actually go down there. This, this is our approach. This is what we do. Well, let's, let's find all the statistics that justify why they should be in prison. And yet Jesus says, when you came 
and you transgressed every one of those mental and social and cultural barriers by love and you visited me and you invited me in and you tended to me and you covered me and you fed me you did it for me you loved your neighbor love your brother love your sister love your neighbor number three the heart of the christian life love your enemy If you don't know what it means to be a Christian, I have a three-point sermon for you. Love your brother and sister. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Matthew chapter 5. And the sad thing is, is we've turned brothers and sisters into enemies because of our disagreements and our pride and our arrogance. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor. Yes, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that, but be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Guys, listen, I, it's, I've just, I just had to shut it down because all of the nonsense out there is just, it's just ridiculous had to shut down all the social media for a while and here's the thing we could sit down and we could lay out all the arguments on both sides on every side we just lay them all out oh if you wear a mask then you're you're doing this and if you don't wear a mask it's just like arguments on every side of every issue but here's the thing at the end of the day at the end of the day from the government level to the to the end times to black lives matter to every issue i promise you this if i can love brother and sister if i can love neighbor and if i can love enemy the kingdom of god comes the kingdom of god comes in that space if we pray lord let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven this this is the way that the kingdom of god breaks into earth and inhabits our spaces i think it's funny that you have a certain segment of the population that takes so much pride in the fact that they're not afraid of a disease great I'm so glad that you're so powerful in God that you're not afraid. Super. Can you love your enemy? Can you love your neighbor? Now, this is impossible. Isn't that good news? I think that's good news. Because, come on, let's be honest. You've tried. 
You try to love your brother. You try to love your spouse, for goodness sake. You promised your spouse you would love him and her every day in sickness and in health. What you didn't say in your vows is that you would love them when they frustrate the snot out of you. You didn't say that in your vows, so you get a pass, right? <laughs> Think about how difficult it is, Jake and Courtney. You just wait. Five years old, seven years old, nine years old. Just cherish these moments. She's so easy to love right now. I mean, like, think about this. Our own children, our roommates, our best friends. And loving people is hard. Loving people that we love is hard. Right? It's impossible. It's impossible. And my own human faculty and my own will and my own volition and my own capacity, it is impossible. And then you ask me to love my neighbor. You know how many needs there are that I come across every single day? And then you tell me to love the people who hurt me? You want me to love the people who have it out for me? You want me to love the people who want to kill me? Yes. Yes, I do. Because in doing so, you show the world what it means to be a child of God. And this is why we come to this table. We come to this table every week to center us and to remind us that God is not asking us to do anything that he himself has not done for us first. He loved his brother and his sister, his own family members. He loved neighbor by sending the word to become flesh and to dwell among us, to inhabit our spaces, to be in proximity to us. And the last words that Jesus breathed as his own enemies were plunging spear into his side and spitting on him and mocking him was, Father, forgive them. Friends, this is impossible by ourselves, but this is possible by the power of God. And I think it is the greatest testimony and the greatest witness of what it means of the reality of who God is. There's so many people that are questioning God today. So many people that are questioning God, not just in the world, so many people are questioning God in this house, guys. We're all being shaken. But when we say, God, will you empower me by grace to love my enemy, my accuser, my abuser? I'm not saying to trust them. I'm not saying to enter back into vulnerable spaces, but I am saying to move to a place by the grace and the power of God as he leads you into that place to say, I'm no longer gonna curse you, but I'm gonna release you to God and I'm gonna be free from my offense of you. I'm gonna love neighbor and I'm gonna love my brother and my sister. Friends, will you stand with me this morning? Can we just pause and center our hearts right now on the life of Jesus sent into the world? Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world. For God so loves your brother, your sister. For God so loves your neighbor. For God so loves your enemy. For God so loves you that he sent his only son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, today, as we come to the table of the Lord, we ask for grace. 
We ask, oh God, that we would experience afresh and anew the love of God and the life of God and the grace of God, which is the hope of the world. In Jesus' name, friends, I want to invite you today to come to receive afresh and anew the body and the blood of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.